Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. And we're going to be talking with Dr. Chris Keel, who's a managing partner with Armada Corporate Intelligence. He's also the chief economist for several nonprofit organizations, including Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International, which is where we met him. And he works with the National Association of Credit Managers and writes their Credit Managers Index Report, which just came out. Lou? Well, I also want to point out that uh, Chris is our humorist for the show uh, because you and I just do a fair job and Chris does a great job. But I I do, before we get this show on the road, as they say, I'd like to just point out um, Chris's opening statement on his report about the quote, the rebound was not spectacular, but these days we'll take what we can get. L-O-L-L-O-L. So, Chris, take it yes. away. All right. Well, you know, as I said, you know, you got you got to take the, the pleasure when you can. And the credit manager's index was not as bad as we thought it would be. <laughs> so at this point, that counts as credit and as, as progress. Really what we're seeing with the credit manager's index for really the last several months is not really any sort of of impending disaster. I am still of the opinion that we are not heading for a recession. We are, however, heading for a slowdown and, and not an unmanageable one, but it's one that is really kind of motivated by companies being a little more cautious, a little more careful um what we see with the credit managers is that they're they're noticing that their clients are having a little bit more cash flow issues they're facing a few more uncertainties it's everything from the slowdown in the global economy to the tariff and trade wars to you name it and it's not got them in retreat but it has them kind of thinking about their future expansion plans a little more carefully. The way I've been describing growth for the last oh, quarter or so is that it's it's unforgiving growth. It's growth that is sustainable, but it doesn't really allow you to do much risk-taking because you're only growing maybe a point and a half to 2%, maybe 21 It's enough to, to justify being in business, but it doesn't justify doing any kind of of big expansion plan. And all of that just sort of conspires to slow things down. The only thing that isn't slowing down right now, and that's probably the best news of all, is that consumers are still spending. And as long as they continue that pace, we'll end up with a pretty solid year. Third quarter numbers were better than we thought they would be, not by a lot. I mean, they're still under 2%, but there there had been predictions that they would be as low as a point and a half, and they weren't. So thank goodness for the consumer. They're still out there spending. They're still getting ready for Christmas. Um, it's that we're not really sure what happens after Christmas is over. Chris, I have to say something. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that 
the consumer confidence is because they don't really know how bad things are or could be. And they're just buying into spend, 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 and uh, we'll pay it down the road because that's the way and that, the government and that differs, works. And that differs from the consumer for the last 190 years in what way? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, the consumer has has never woke up in the morning saying, I must check durable goods orders, and I'm really, really concerned about capacity utilization, and if I don't get those new factory order numbers in, I don't know what to do. You know, they wake up every morning and they, and they go, I have a job. Yes, you do. I'm going to get paid. Yes, you are. Um, Christmas is coming. Yes, it is. I have children. Yes, I do. Um, and you end up having a, a pretty sustainable pattern, which is based on very immediate things. I mean, the consumer honestly responds to two things. It's all they've ever responded to. It's all they ever will respond to. And that is, do I have a job and do I feel secure in that job? And number two, can I afford what is on sale? Um, is inflation really affecting me? And at the moment, nobody's worried about their jobs, not with 3.5 unemployment, and nobody is concerned about inflation. So the consumer is basically saying, in the immortal words of Alfred E. Newman, what, me worry? Um, (laughs) I would have never taken you for an Alfred E. Newman fan. That was my kind of guy. Wow, uh, Mo, you and me both, yes, indeed. <laughs> I'm, I'm really impressed with that. But I don't know, my engineer. Do you know Alfred E. Newman? <laughs> Mad Magazine. He knew who he was, yeah. who they were. That's I great. I grew up on Mad Magazine. Spy versus Spy was my favorite. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Unfortunately, it has met its demise. I know. I know. As as so much of quality has. <laughs> And you yeah. also know, you also know that half of our audience, the millennials, might not know who Alfred E. Newman and Mad Magazine is. But you know, they're look just going to have to put down. They're just going to have to put down their latte long enough to Google it. You know, I mean, that's all. That's exactly gonna... right. That's exactly. Right. He's just so sinister. I can't believe it. <clears throat> right. Yep. So there's Google. Alfred E. Newman, Mad Magazine. Okay, so aside from our horsing around, uh, yes. where, are we, where are we going? Well, I think where we're headed in the coming year, in the first place, it's an election year. And election years depress consumers, and that's one of the things we're going to have to be careful with. It's kind of the nature of campaigning these days, both parties painting as bleak a picture as possible unless you vote for them. You know, the other the other right. guys will take you to hell in a handbasket. So right. the consumer who is barely paying attention to any of this at all basically comes away going, Good God we're doomed. Um both sides think we're in trouble. Next is the fact that just the whole tone of the campaign is going to be angrier than usual and you'll have an awful lot of people sort of tuning it out. And that makes the consumer just a little less willing to to take risks. Um, I don't think there's going to be a, a huge withdrawal of consumer activity, but they may start hesitating when it comes to the big purchases, automobiles, houses, 
expensive vacations, those sorts of things. And and that has a tendency to drive the economy in some very substantial ways. On the other hand, we're probably going to see some fairly decent recoveries in, in some of the countries that we do business with. Um, we've been talking a lot about the impact of the tariffs and trade and all that sort of stuff. It's now been really almost two years since we have been antagonistic towards doing business with China. And that has been plenty of time for companies to start shifting their supply chains around. And we're beginning to see the kind of the back end of that. We're now seeing a lot more purchasing from the U.S. by countries like Vietnam and India and Sri Lanka and the like. So those countries are beginning to help us with some of our export activity. Um, not a huge amount yet at this point, but enough that it's becoming a little bit of a factor. All next year is just going to be a little bit of, of walking on eggshells, looking for something that is going to set people in a bad mood or better yet something that will send people into a good mood my worry is that there's more there's more negative threat than there is positive there are more things that could go wrong than there are things that could go right the best we can hope for i think is to sort of carry on next year pretty much the way we did this year um, with some growth nothing spectacular but holding our own if if you look at the credit managers index numbers and and this is ostensibly what we're talking about um the good news numbers have been very strong and the bad news numbers have been a little less weak <laughs> so as you remember those who've been following this faithfully for years we have two sectors favorables and non-favorables the favorables are things that make credit managers happy applications for credit, dollar collections, amount of credit extended, and sales. All of those have continued to be in very comfortable territory, in the upper 50s, even close to 60. So we're not worried about those. They're doing great. Um, if you look at the non-favorables, most of them improved. Um, they're still, in some cases, in the 40s, but getting a little closer to 50. Some are actually over 50. And the concerns there are things like accounts out for collection, disputes, slow pays. It basically boils down to that companies that are doing well are doing quite well. Companies that are not doing so well are beginning to show the strain. And you can almost identify this by sector. Energy is doing well. Automotive, not so well. Um, construction is holding its own. Um, you're beginning to see a, a cumulative damage to the aerospace sector because of the Boeing Max deal. Um, farming has been in the doldrums all year. But on the other hand, you've seen healthcare grow. So it it's hard to tell kind of an overall story. You know, you end up with the classic economic response. It depends. <laughs> so if somebody asked me a, a question, I'm like, well, you know, where do you live and what business are you in and how old are you? And all these things matter. Uh, so at this stage, there are some winners, there are some losers, and there are people that really aren't quite sure what direction they're going to go. Well, well it's been really it, great Chris. having you on the show again. 
they're not they're not worried about it, Chris, because in twelve years, according to some of those people in Washington, we're all toast anyway. The seas are gonna rise, right. the fires will come down from heaven and you know, we're done yeah. for. <laughs> well, and, and I think that that's, that's one of the, the real strains right now is that we have – we try to deal with this all the time, but the federal level is so involved with the political gamesmanship and the infighting that it really doesn't accomplish much anymore. Um, the things that you really want the government to do, it's not doing a very good job of. What has happened <clears> – <throat> is that an awful lot of that activity is now devolving to the states. And we've mentioned this a couple times before. A lot of the innovation to deal with the issues that are most affecting business are now happening at the state level. We've talked endlessly about the labor shortage. The government at the federal level is doing absolutely nothing about the labor shortage. States, however, are heavily engaged. They're financing trade schools. They're encouraging operations at the high school level. They're funding retraining programs. They're taking the bull by the horns. Local communities doing the same thing. Infrastructure. It's supposed to be a national thing. Well, the federal legislature is so balled up that it can't even pass infrastructure bills now. So it's being left to the states, and the states are saying, well, we don't have as much money as we used to, but we're going to get involved in this nonetheless. So from the standpoint of, of coming into an election year, I kind of look at my at my audience and say, whatever you do at the national level, whatever, but pay close attention to your state and local politicians because they will be the ones who are actually doing the heavy lifting uh, for the next several years. To your point, Chris, uh, I am on the uh, advisory council for an organization called Virtual uh, Entrepreneurship International, which is an organization nationwide, 17 states that they're involved in, where they're teaching entrepreneurship in the last two years of high school. And mm-hmm. it's, it's really it's really an incredible program. Uh, I mean, it doesn't have to be manufacturing. It doesn't have to be a lot of things. But what it is is teach these uh, 17, 18-year-old kids that maybe the best route for you, whatever your talent or skills are, go into business, write a business right. plan, right? And and that's what these people are doing, and they're really terrific. Um, and they've got now 15,000 students a year who are involved in this. And uh, a good many of them over the last two, three years, when they came out and graduated, whether they went to college or not, they wound up starting businesses. And right. That's what that's what we need. If you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna coin my one of my favorite phrases: "Don't count on the federal government," which is right. what you just said. I right. Guess. Exactly. And I and I think the the best news about training kids for entrepreneurial activity is that they also learn what's involved in running a business, whether they do it or not. They at least have an understanding of the companies that they will be working for in the future because as a business owner, you know that one of the most challenging things is communicating to your employees how all this works and say, look, you know, I mean, if we don't make money, you can't get paid. Um, If and amazingly enough, people don't grasp that. It's kind of like, well, you know, is money just going 
coming from trees. And so I think it's good that that kids are, are getting that exposure at a very early age. You know, we've talked about the robotic camps that are being done, you know, fabricators and manufacturers, which you mentioned earlier, has an entire foundation that is devoted to nothing but trying to educate young people into the manufacturing world. And that's Bolts and Thingamajigs Foundation. That's its whole mission. And little by little, we're chipping away at, at some of these these myths about how important manufacturing. Well, we haven't talked about this on the show for a while, but people forget how important manufacturing really is. Um, I think one of the misnomers is simply derived from the way that we classify somebody as manufacturing. If you're not actually physically putting a part on something on an assembly line, you're not in manufacturing. If you are in the company working with accounts receivable, you're a designer, you're a supervisor, you're, you know, you're not technically in manufacturing. And so when they tally up the people working in manufacturing, they say, well, it's only 8.5% of the workforce. If you figure people are in manufacturing because they work for a manufacturer in some capacity, they work for a Ford, suddenly the number of people involved in manufacturing is 41% not 8%. Mm-hmm. And you just have to remind people, it's like the vast majority of the employees at Ford are not putting a car together. Robots do that. But somebody right. programs the robot and does everything else that's required in a company like Ford or GM or whatever. So we just have to break down this myth about what is and is not manufacturing in the U.S. What's the? Uh, I, I don't want to really pick on uh, mainstream media because you know they're making tons of money on Trump, 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 Russia, 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 and so on. But you don't hear what you and us are talking about uh, right now because that's what it's going to take to make some major changes in our economy and our manufacturing economy and so on. We can't listen to all the nonsense that's going on in dc and you know that's my hometown so i'm sort of picking on it but you we can't keep picking on that because there's so many other things that we could be doing like our discussion you know we're a podcast we're telling the story as we see it here all over the country and i hear it from uh the all metals and forge uh companies um uh, client base uh, about what's really going on, and you don't hear it in the, uh, uh, you don't hear it on mainstream media. No, you really don't, and it's and it's a real shame because we we end up having this this preoccupation with with sort of inside the Beltway intrigue, and it's not that it's not important, but the average person again gets up in the morning and they don't really care. Who said what to somebody in a country they can't even spell? You know, Ukraine, <laughs> why? What has this got to do with anything? You know, right. I mean, it, it's not that it's not important. It, of course, is. But the average person is kind of like, you know, my highway is falling apart. Um, you know, things need to have improved with 
you know, you turn the healthcare doesn't work like it's supposed to, and education isn't what it used to be, and you know, all of these things become day-to-day concerns, and they don't get nearly the attention either by the politicians or by the media. And I understand that it's a difficult story to tell, particularly for somebody who has no background in it. Um, I've seen reporters try to figure out manufacturing, and it's like, first time you ever been inside a factory, isn't it? <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my but, god, you know that that's that's called a machine. Um, but, but and have, you know those. <laughs> but Chris, I have to tell you that my my feeling is it's not a hard story to tell. It doesn't doesn't you know if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't lead mentality with right, the media right. and the press. So here they're they're into you know Trump 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 Russia 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 you know and they're not into the prison population. They're not into uh, uh, you know all the things that we've talked about that could wind up changing things drastically, uh-huh. and our government is not helping us with that. It's the no, locals. It's, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that that again pushes the conversation back down to the local community because the local congressman, the local state legislator, the local mayor, the local city government person. They're not involved in all that conversation about Russia and Trump either. You know, I mean, they right. can have their opinions, but they're basically dealing with somebody who says, you know, the sidewalk needs to be repaired. The lights aren't working. You know, the sewer is not cooperating. You know, and, and nobody really wants to tune into that in the nightly news. But on the other hand, you're saying, which matters more to you, a sewer system that works or somebody that you don't know having killed somebody else you don't know? You know, like the old expression goes, all politics is local. Right. And or and, loco, and that, I'm not sure. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. All all politics yeah. is loco. I like that. Yeah. I'm going to send you a 25 cent royalty fee every time I use it on the show. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and you all can right. be making ten dollars in no time at all. Exactly. That's great. I now have my retirement nest egg all worked out. Yeah. So so where where are we going, Chris? You know, give give us a story about four or five, six months down the road. I think where we're headed is for a return to the age of mediocrity. So we're we're going to have (laughs) sort of kissed that that high growth spurt behind. Some of that was semi-artificial, but it sort of played itself out. And the good news is we're not heading for a real crash. We're just heading for a return to more standard growth rates um, around that 2%, which is respectable. A lot of countries in the world would kill to be that fast. So I think what we are looking forward to in the future is just a more careful business environment. Businesses are going to be cautious. They're not going to be interested in hiring as they have been in the past. I think consumers will start to become a little more cautious. They'll start to worry a bit about the future of their jobs. And we already see consumers saving more than they have in the past. Um, I think banks are going to be a little more cautious, investors a little more cautious. So it just has the feel to me of everyone taking a breath and saying, okay, I I don't really think I'm in trouble, 
but I don't want to be vulnerable if something changes. And people are just becoming a little more, I mean, I hear it from consumers, I hear it from businesses, um, nobody is giving up, but they're all kind of, yeah, I'll wait and see. Um, a lot of it is just sort of seeing what happens with the election, because they're looking at, at least at this point, and maybe things will change by next November, they're saying, we are facing the weirdest choice we can think of. Out of 330 <laughs> million people, we're ending up with extremes on the left and the right. What the heck happened to the middle um, and where most of us live? Because I talk to people going, good, you're giving me a choice between Trump and Warren? Really? I, I don't, but I say, yeah, well, it's happened in Britain. The two most unpopular politicians in all of Great Britain <laughs> are competing with each other in December, Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn. The polls indicate that 90% of the British dislike both of them. That's really, that's really <laughs> terrific. Yeah, that's terrific. So kind of like, and they hate they our like, choices. Yeah, exactly. You know, so uh, personally, I think it's time to apologize for the whole Revolutionary War thing and get the king back and have Kate Middleton be our new regent. You know, and, 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 and then we're, we're, we're good to go. <laughs> well, that's, that's really great, Chris. And uh, but glad to hear. Are, are you heading back on a boat to England? If England even exists at this point, they've been going through some yeah, exactly. stuff this past exactly. weekend. You know, yeah, order, know order, order, order. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He's now he's <laughs> now part of a of a new a new dance dance mix. I hear. Um, yeah. That that voice is. <laughs> so I'm very impressed. No, I think I yeah, want to go to another colony, New Zealand, maybe. Uh, let let so, us know if they have many of the uh, townhouses built up there, because my wife and I are looking at that as an option also. So yeah, let, let us good, know how you make out. Yeah. I, I will. I will. You right. just have to so, practice that, that tongue thing that the Maoris do, you know, and then, then, then they'll be good to go. So. There you go. So, Chris, <laughs> okay. they figured out that they're going to approve Brexit. Well, they, they've accepted the deal. Now they're going to study the deal to death and right. then vote on it theoretically in January where they'll probably argue it to death once again. Of, of what uh, year? Well, it, it, yeah, it comes down to the fact that nobody really yet has a clue how those those really sticky issues are going to be dealt with. And I think that, that that's a problem not only in, in the U.K., but it's a problem in the U.S. as well because we're – we are facing some very expensive, sticky problems, and we just don't really want to deal with them. And as a result, we just keep pushing the decisions off, and they just become more and more expensive. And and at some point, it just we don't deal with the deficit, we don't deal with the debt, and it just both gets much larger to the point that there really is no dealing with the debt and the debt deficit without major, major pain. And then it just becomes, I mean, I, I saw a great quote the other day that, you know, politics is basically a choice between the impossible and the unpalatable. <laughs> it's kind of like, so. Well, you, I don't know if you know my philosophy about the U.S. debt, 
We just write it off. Well, yeah. We, there is no doubt. We have already. Yeah. We have no unfortunately, doubt. Unfortunately, we can't do that as long as people have purchased it. You know, it's it's the fact is we can do a lot of things with the debt in terms of creative bookkeeping. But at the end of the day, the real damage that it does is that we owe the people we sold the debt to. And that's now creeping up on $400 billion a year and the fifth largest category of the federal budget. And no matter how much we write it off, we still have to pay it. Um, people to whom you owe money are funny that way. <laughs> so. well, maybe they have to get a new reality. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think that will work either. <laughs> Well, you know, again, how are we going to pay it? Nobody's talking about it. No one's doing anything right. about it. We just yeah. start keep building it. Our our present administration, they've had the, you know, over a trillion dollar additional debt this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. so how, how is it ever going to get paid? No one even talks that's about a, it. That's a very good question because they don't want to deal with how it would have to be paid. And the way that it well, would have don't... to be paid at this stage would be rather significant tax increases and rather significant spending cuts. And in order to do that, it's not going to be something as simple as, gee, let's tax wealthy people. No, everybody gets taxed uh, heavily again. And when it comes to spending, it's like, well, we really can't afford Medicare and Social Security as it currently exists. I mean, all the different solutions are, are workable, but they're draconian. Um, you could do a lot to reduce Social Security by changing the retirement age and changing it to 85. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. You just made a lot of enemies. Oh, I know. But if you just go back. If you go back to the 1920s and 30s when Social Security was being invented and they set 65 as the retirement age, it was set because that was life expectancy. You didn't think people were going to live. <laughs> so now that life expectancy is older and you use those same demographics, it's like, nope, retirement age is now 85. Suck it up. Um, <laughs> Actually, well, I think that our life expectancy I think our life expectancy number has actually gone down this past year. It has. Yeah, it has. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's basically, you know, not enough people with clean living, I think. So. <laughs> That's right. Well, then you have to add on $52 trillion uh, health care for all. Right. And whatever else everybody else is piling on, uh, it becomes almost uh, silly at some point, but well, it, it it does, and and people have a hard time coming to grips with some of these numbers because if you did, for example, expand Medicare to everyone, it's about a three trillion dollar proposition. If you want to get that from the wealthy, the upper ten percent, what you would then have to do is tax that ten percent at a one hundred percent rate, and you would still be short. So, uh, so if, that, you, if you work. tax somebody at 100%, chances are very good that they will stop working or they will move. Um, and it's like, <laughs> oh, well, I used to be an American, um, but I'm very wealthy, you see, so I can go live in the Grand Caymans. Um, so, 
it's it's just unrealistic. It's the kind of stuff that you know we've all we've gotten from politicians for years is platitudes. And at some point, we have to rise up and say, "Quit lying to me. How dumb do you think I am?" And and you know I want to hear something realistic. You know, please train some welders and shut up about whatever it is you're blathering about today. <laughs> Do you have any friends in Washington? None. None whatsoever. None, not, um, not after the last four or five minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have I have none friends. I'm not even sure anyone in Virginia can stand me. Um, but <laughs> that's, that's why I live in Kansas. I'm far enough away from them that most people from D.C., once they get about 100 miles west of D.C., they're hopelessly lost, and they'll never find Kansas, ever. <laughs> well, that's for sure. You just have to keep going left. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, Chris, how does the rest of the world look as we wrap this up? Uh, you know, Europe is clearly very soft. Germany's in a technical recession headed for a very real right. recession. If it's any consolation, the rest of the world is worse than we are. Yay! <laughs> so, um, <laughs> we're, you know, it, 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 normally that would not, you know, fill people with glee. But you're right. Europe is, you know, struggling to even hit 0.05 percent growth. Germany's in recession. France is doing a little better um, than it was expected to, but they're kind of the exception to the rule. China is alcoholic. <laughs> That's right. Well, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, <laughs> no, you're right. You're that, right. that has sustained me for years. Um, <laughs> China is looking at their equivalent of recession, which is six percent growth. Um, you're you're seeing slowdowns in India, Latin America, Brazil is not doing well. Argentina has shifted back into the Peronist realm, which is what drove their economy into ruin 10 years ago, so they thought they'd try it again. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not a particularly happy picture. Now, the exception to that are the small countries that are taking advantage of new supply chains um, that are trying to avoid China. So if you're looking for bright spots in the world, there are frequently countries that people don't think about much, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Thailand, um, the Philippines, Vietnam, because they're the ones who are kind of swooping in and, and grabbing business from China. They don't have the infrastructure to support it. That's going to be their biggest limiting factor. Vietnam, for example, already is out of power. Um, they are frantically trying to build new capacity because they can't they can't take on any more business. They don't have enough energy. Um, so it's it's right now we're the fastest of the slow guys. So, so let, let me ask you this: uh, Is Mars or the Moon a, a relative uh, option for all of us to start all this mess again? Well, you know, it's either it's either that or we or we or we try to find Atlantis and rebuild it, um, and just you know, <laughs> live underwater. So. I saw this uh, a federal government project. Like all we have to do is pump the water out of the ocean. Exactly. You know, <laughs> exactly. It's a big ocean. I mean, 
with global warming, it, it's all warm water now. So what's the problem? Yeah, as, right. as Mr. Trump said, it's big water. Yes, that's right. <laughs> exactly. All right. So. Uh, hey, Chris, this is a great conversation. Always enjoy having you on. Enjoy your humor. Uh, you probably could make more money at being a humorist than you are an, an economist. And on that last note, I'll turn it over to Tim because I don't want to insult you anymore. <laughs> very good, very good. Well, Chris, we'll look forward to talking to you again next month when uh, things I'm sure will be brighter and rosier and we'll all have our rose-colored glasses that we've ordered from Amazon. Well, it'll, be, it'll be Christmas. Of course it'll be better. You know, we'll have visions of sugar plums <laughs> dancing in our heads. So. Here you go, and snow across the plains. Exactly. Well, it's been great, guys, and I'll talk to you in a month. Thanks very much, Chris. Thanks, thanks, Chris. And we've been speaking with Dr. Chris Steele of Armada Corporate Intelligence, who's also the chief economist for nice folks like the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International, where we met Chris some years ago. And we always appreciate his humor, Lou. He always adds a little levity to uh, a really dry topic. I mean, have we ever asked him what he's a doctor of? I mean, is he is he a veterinarian? Is he an economist? I mean, what what's the story here? Well, have he must to find be a doctor of, of numbers. Yes, we'll have to save that for next month. Yeah, but yeah we'll save that list. next month. We'll pick on him with the opening lines. All right, yeah. uh, Jim, it's good talking to you again, and uh, we'll Always catch a good up. chat, Lou. Yes, okay. and thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at msgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.